And for 11,000 miles to get to try out a really, really nice business class seat, I think is totally worth it. Hello, hello. Welcome back to another special bonus episode of the Daily Drop podcast. Today, I'm going to be giving you my trip report from the trip I just finished around the world. And the point of this episode, and I guess the, this style of episode that Megan and I have started doing is to take some of the things that we talk about in Daily Drop, both the podcast and the newsletter, some of the travel hacking concepts, some of the deals that we talk about, and give you an idea of how we're applying these in sort of real world scenarios. And I think um, that's sort of taken to the extreme here with this trip that I'm about to tell you uh, about, which covered, it spanned 49 days, covered 19 countries, uh, 21 flights, 19 airport lounge visits, and cost me way too many points. And by that, I mean, it was a lot of points, but well worth it. And so hopefully, um, as I tell you about this trip, you can take away some of the things that I did and maybe apply them either in the same exact places that I traveled to, if you're interested in going there, or just at least to give you an idea of where to look um, for certain award flights and hotel bookings and travel hacks on any future trip. So with that being said, let's jump in. So this trip started off um, in mid-August, and the first leg of this took me from Toronto, where I live, to Japan. Specifically, I landed in Osaka and spent about a week in Kyoto, uh, which is just north of Osaka. And this I just flew on Air Canada uh, from Toronto to Vancouver and then Vancouver to Osaka. And I used cash to book this, actually, not even points, because I had some Air Canada credit, uh, basically money in my Air Canada wallet that can only be used towards cat cash flights on Air Canada. It couldn't even be used for uh, taxes and fees on award bookings. So something I had to use, and I got it for pretty cheap. I mean, considering what it was, it was like less than a thousand Canadian dollars. But again, this was just credit. This was uh, from various flight cancellations. Uh, part of the credit was from a European Air Canada flight that got canceled on my way back. And I got quite a bit of compensation because of that. And so, yeah. And at the airport, I was miraculously upgraded to business class for the long haul flight, even though I didn't use any upgrade credits or anything, but just because of my Air Canada status and because the flight was overbooked, I just got very lucky. So not much of a takeaway there, although I did go up to the, the gate agent ahead of time because I saw on my app that the flight was overbooked and just sort of put in a request to go up to business class, even though that's not something Air Canada really does, uh, comp upgrades like that. Uh, but somehow it worked out. So I had a nice bed for that 11-hour flight, which was pretty incredible. Um, and in Japan, uh, it's a place that I, I really love. Kyoto is great, although in the summer, in August, it was extremely hot, like excruciatingly hot. So um, not the most comfortable, but Kyoto is always a great place to visit, even in the summer. Um, I hung out with some friends there. It was great. And because not a lot of people, I guess, wanted to go to Japan in that kind of heat. The hotel was actually super cheap. So I stayed at the Hyatt Place, Kyoto, uh, and it cost about 85 bucks a night to stay there, which was uh, pretty incredible because it's right in downtown Kyoto. 
great location, not too far from sort of the commercial areas of Kyoto, but also not too far from the historic sites. A lot of the temples, um, transportation in Kyoto is great, the subway and the bus system. So yeah, all things considered, I think it was great. And unlike a lot of Hyatt places, this was really, really nice. I mean, it's brand new, maybe like a year or so old, I think. Um, and it has a really cool, like traditional Japanese twist on the Hyatt place. So it feels like a much more luxurious hotel than what you might expect from a Hyatt place. So I highly recommend that property. Um, I can't remember. I think it's a category three hotel. So if you were using points, it would cost, you know, uh, I, I guess around 12,000 points a night. And so instead paying 85 bucks is a great trade-off, uh, in my opinion. So from there, I flew to China, actually, and I left from Osaka Airport, flew to Shanghai Airport on China Eastern Airlines, and I used Flying Blue Miles, so KLM and Air France Miles, to book that flight for about 6,000 miles one way, which was great. I mean, it's a very short flight, but again, when you're in that part of the world, and especially flying to and from China, which right now is not the easiest thing in the world, uh, it was pretty, pretty nice to be able to just use uh, flying blue miles, which are so easy to come by because you can transfer miles from just about anywhere, often with a transfer bonus. I don't think there was a transfer bonus when I did it, but um, but still, 6,000 miles was great. Uh, nonstop flight, so nice and cozy. And if you aren't aware, uh, China right now is offering, well, they've always done this, but uh, they stopped it during COVID and now it's back again, a visa-free transit program where you can, uh, most passports in the world, actually, no, sorry, most passports in the world can do a 24-hour visa-free transit there. But if you have a passport from one of 50-something countries, including a lot of European countries, the United States, Canada, Australia, etc., um, where a lot of you <laughs> will be coming from, um, you can transit for up to six days for free in China, or visa-free rather. And it's very simple. All you need to do is have proof of your onward flight to a third country. So in my case, I flew from Japan and after China, I went to Taiwan. And all I needed when I got to the airport in China was proof that I was flying to Taiwan. So like my actual ticket that I had booked and uh, proof of my hotels and things like that as well. And it was very easy. There's a fully dedicated section of the arrivals or like the immigration arrivals in Shanghai airport specifically for the 24 hour and six day visa-free transit. And it only took a few minutes and I was right through and got right into Shanghai, which is awesome considering uh, it's kind of a bit cumbersome to actually get a proper Chinese visa these days. So to be able to spend up to six days there with, you know, pretty much no paperwork required and no headache required was really awesome. Now in Shanghai, I stayed at two different places. First, I stayed at the Orcove Hotel. And if you aren't familiar with that, it's actually a brand owned by Hyatt, but only exists in mainland China. So not even like Hong Kong, Macau, Taiwan area, uh, only mainland China or Cove Hotels. And it's owned by Hyatt and participates in the World of Hyatt loyalty program. And the nice thing about these hotels is that a lot of them are category one Hyatt hotels, meaning they can cost as few as 3,500 Hyatt points per night which is the cheapest possible rate you can get with points at a Hyatt hotel. And it was pretty nice, actually. I was surprised at how nice it was. I wouldn't call it like a luxury hotel, but I definitely wouldn't call it a budget hotel either. It was sort of in the, the middle of the pack there, but 
all of the locations of the Orcove hotels that I saw were really good, including where I stayed, which was, um, you know, right off like two different subway lines in Shanghai. So it made it super, super easy to get around. Um, and yeah, Shanghai was absolutely incredible. I enjoyed my time there. I was very surprised by just how easy it was to navigate because in China, you don't get a lot of the same um, conveniences that you might get other places. So for example, um, a lot of websites don't work. Uh, Google Maps and things like that don't work. Uh, sometimes even if you have a VPN, it can be hard to connect to those things. So a lot of the traditional ways you might find ways to get around and just look up stuff to do, you don't actually get access to in China. However, I found I didn't have any problems at all, even without those things. And people were very friendly. Um, there was a lot to do. Definitely a place that I want to go back to, maybe do the visa-free transit in a different city next time. But yeah, can't recommend that enough. And my final night in Shanghai, I stayed at the Ritz-Carlton, which is a pretty famous Ritz-Carlton property. It's kind of iconic in Shanghai because it takes up the top chunk of a skyscraper in like the the high-rise area of the city. So you get amazing views. There's a rooftop bar and restaurant, but a lot of the rooms also have really solid views. So yeah, I shelled out more points than I normally would for a hotel on that night, but I was having such a good time in Shanghai and it was such a special experience that, you know, it was worth it. I think it cost like 70,000 Marriott points for the night, which like I said, I'm pretty stingy with my Marriott points. I don't usually pay more than 10 or 20,000 points for a night uh, whenever possible. So that was kind of a once in a really long time event for me. But I really enjoyed it. Um, and then from there, I moved on to Taiwan. And from Shanghai, I actually used Flying Blue Miles again to fly on China Airlines, which is not based in mainland China, but is based in Taipei. Um, that's not Air China, but China Airlines. And I flew business class on their A350, and it only cost me 11,000 flying blue miles. So again, KLM and Air France miles, great way to travel around Asia. So many great Asian airlines participate in that program. So um, yeah, it was great. A very short flight, but I really enjoyed flying business class on such a nice plane on such a great airline, even for a short time. It just, again, made that whole China part of the trip really special for me and something that I won't forget. And for 11,000 miles to get to try out a really, really nice business class seat, I think is totally worth it. So um, in Taiwan, I stayed at the Aloft Hotel. I think there are a couple Alofts in Taipei. Uh, I stayed at one of them that was not quite in the middle of things. It wasn't near the Taipei 101, which is like the really modernized part of the city with that really tall skyscraper. But, and it's also not in the historic site. It's a little bit out of the way, but again, um, like most major Asian cities, the transport is fantastic in Taipei. So it wasn't a huge issue. And I think for that hotel, it cost around 15,000 Marriott points per night, but I stayed for five nights. And so I was able to get the fifth night free which if you aren't aware with Marriott and Hilton, when you use points to book hotel nights, every fifth night is free. So when you book five nights, you only pay the, the amount of points for four of those nights. And so I took advantage of that perk on this day, which saved me a little bit of points. And uh, I got a little bit sick in Taiwan, so I didn't get to see quite as much as I would have liked, but I did some hiking around the area, got to see some of the 
famous sites, got to go to the night markets, which is kind of the the big thing to do there. There are tons of them. Um, you get to try some really, let's say, interesting cuisine there, like uh, the famous stinky tofu, among other things. And yeah, it's just a really cool place to to walk around, um, to see some beautiful scenery, see some beautiful buildings, try some interesting food. So again, highly recommend Taipei as well. And Taiwan is definitely a place I plan on going back to, to explore a little bit more outside of the city of Taipei, which I've heard is, I've heard the countryside and some of the other towns and cities are just absolutely amazing. So yeah, then from Taipei, I flew to Cambodia. And again, I used Flying Blue Miles because as I told you, a lot of Asian airlines are partnered with KLM and Air France. So there are just endless opportunities to use those miles to book here. And I was able to book a flight from Taipei to Hanoi, Vietnam, and then Hanoi to Siem Reap, Cambodia. The first flight was on China Airlines again, and the second flight was on Vietnam Airlines, both of which you can book with Flying Blue Miles. And that cost, I think, around 20,000 Flying Blue Miles. So not the best value, but again, you don't have tons of options there. Um, and cash flights in that part of the world, like Eastern Asia, can still be pretty expensive. When you get down to Southeast Asia, it gets a lot cheaper. Um, but I, I found that 20,000 points, and I think it was only about $20 US in taxes and fees. Great deal to get me exactly from where I was to exactly where I needed to go. So... Um, I wasn't too mad about that. Got to go in a couple of nice airport lounges on the way as well. So it was a nice smooth day of flying. Um, both airlines, China Airlines and Vietnam Airlines, I found very impressive, even in economy. Um, something that you might not know, when you get out of North America and Europe, a lot of the time, most airlines you fly around the world, they give you full meals um, when even when you're flying economy. Even if you're on just like a one-hour flight, Oftentimes, you'll get a nice meal, uh, even on budget airlines. And again, not something you expect in North America and even in Europe. But once you get to the Middle East, once you get to Asia, India, Indian airlines are good at this. When you're flying around Africa as well, South America, I found the same. Um, you often get just like, it's a little bit of a, an elevated experience when you're flying economy. And it makes it, in my opinion, just much more enjoyable, less painful when you just have a little bit more uh, value that you're getting from these economy flights. So in Cambodia, in Siem Reap, I stayed at two different hotels. First was the Park Hyatt Siem Reap, which is kind of, I think, an interesting location for a Park Hyatt because there aren't a lot of chain hotels in general in Cambodia. And most of the chain hotels in the country are actually in the capital of Phnom Penh, which is hours and hours away. Siem Reap is where Angkor Wat is, the wonder of the world. Like it's the more historic part of the country. It's Siem Reap is kind of the gateway to the temple region of the country. And so it was interesting to find a park height there, especially one that I think it was a category two, I want to say, Hyatt Hotel. So actually it might've been category three um, and it was off peak pricing. So I think I paid 9,000 points per night for three nights, which for a Park Hyatt is fantastic. There are not many Park Hyatts in the world that cost that few Hyatt points per night because it's obviously their most luxurious sort of top-end brand. And so it was. I felt like it was a steal to stay in a Park Hyatt for that price. 
I did have a couple issues with the hotel. Um, they were very kind and generous about it. Nothing too crazy. Um, just some, some bad service things. Um, but the manager was very kind about it and uh, gave me a few points in return for the experience. And yeah, so I, I wasn't upset, I guess, when leaving. He was very good at sort of smoothing over that situation. Um, but overall, I thought the the food was really good there. The location is pretty much as good as it gets. It's right in the middle of Siem Reap. And they upgraded me um, before I even arrived at the hotel. They upgraded me to their best suite, which had like an entire private pool, um, like a nice jacuzzi in the room, living room. So it was it was a nice room. The hotel was definitely dated. I think it just needs some work. It's not quite up to par with what you would normally get from a Park Hyatt, which I think is probably why it's um, priced a lot lower than most Park Hyatts. So yeah, good overall great hotel. Um, just, you know, if you're expecting a normal Park Hyatt, this is not it. Would still recommend staying there though. The next hotel I stayed at was a small luxury hotels of the world property called Ank the Angkor Village Hotel. And that is right up the street from the Park Hyatt. And this also participates in the World of Hyatt loyalty program. So small luxury hotels of the world is not owned by Hyatt, but they do have a partnership. And if you use Hyatt points to book, or if you even just pay cash for the hotel, but you book through Hyatt, you get a bunch of awesome perks when you stay at these properties, um, comparable to if you have elite status with Hyatt, even if you don't have elite status. So basically anybody, even if you've never stayed at a Hyatt, have no points, uh, have no elite status. If you book an SLH, small luxury hotels, property through Hyatt, you'll get free breakfast, you'll get room upgrades, you'll get late checkout, and you earn Hyatt elite nights and Hyatt points from your stay. And that is for anyone who stays at one of these hotels booked through Hyatt. And there are tons and tons of them all over the world. I've stayed at a handful of SLH hotels, I think mostly in Asia, but they exist in the US, they exist in Europe, they exist pretty much everywhere these days. And so it's a great way to get more value from your points and more bang for your buck if you're paying cash for a room and sort of get that elite treatment without needing to put in any of the work to earn elite status. And this hotel was definitely different from the Park Hyde. It had a much more traditional feel. So a lot of the hotel is like outside, no windows or anything. It's kind of built over like a pond and the, the rooms are sort of a more luxurious kind of like hut. Um, it makes it sound pretty primitive, but it's not. The rooms are definitely nice. Um, but it, you, you have that feel like you're never really sealed in. So sometimes like bugs can get into the room quite easily. That's going to be anywhere in Cambodia, to be honest with you. And so I wasn't, uh, concerned about it. Definitely wasn't expecting anything other than that and wasn't bothered by it at all. I had a, a great time at the hotel. Um, and I thought it was reasonably priced, I think 8,000 Hyatt points a night or only like a hundred bucks if you're paying cash for it. So either way, I think pretty good value considering the extra perks you get from the program. So yeah, Siem Reap was a great time. Uh, sleepy town in Southeast Asia and only maybe 15 minutes or so from the the really famous temples uh, like the Angkor Wat and Angkor Thom and all the other, uh, there, there are dozens and dozens of temples. I mean, you could spend weeks there and not see all of them, 
But um, definitely the five nights I spent there was a good amount of time to both explore the town and to see all of the temples that I, I had wanted to see. Um, and the cost of doing stuff in Cambodia, especially in Siem Reap, is so low. I mean, I had multiple meals for like one or two dollars, uh, a beer you can get for like 50 cents, maybe, um, you know, a massage, a one hour massage you can get for like five dollars. Um, it's just a super cheap place, even more cheap than than most parts of Southeast Asia that I've been, which is saying a lot. So, yeah, very cool place from Cambodia. Um, maybe the easiest leg of the trip. I flew to Kuala Lumpur, Malaysia. It's only about a one hour flight. And in Southeast Asia, uh, budget airlines are priced so cheap. The flight cost me, I think, 40 or $45 to get from Siem Reap nonstop on Air Asia, which is a budget airline based in Kuala Lumpur. Uh, they fly all over the place, even as far as like the Middle East and India and up to Japan and things like that. So I've flown on AirAsia a number of times. I've always had a good experience and I've never paid more than a hundred bucks for a flight. And I think they're great. I would always fly them uh, if I can. It's cheap, it's quick. They have good service. Their flights leave on time. They get you from A to B and yeah, super easy and cheap. And in Kuala Lumpur, I was there for seven nights and I stayed at just one hotel for all seven nights. And that was the Hotel Stripes. And this is a um, Marriott hotel, part of the Autograph collection, uh, which you don't see a lot of uh, from Marriott. But it was quite nice, actually. Um, much nicer than I was expecting, considering it costs 65 bucks a night to stay here. Again, so cheap that it's not even worth using points, uh, because I think the points cost was like 20,000 points a night. Um, so just not even worth using the points because the the value of those points is significantly higher than the cash cost of the room. And there was also a, um, I signed up for a Marriott credit card recently. And one of the components of that was in the first six months, if you spend six paid nights at a Marriott hotel, you got a bonus 50,000 Marriott points. So this was also a good opportunity to get six very cheap paid nights. So I could not only get exactly uh, the hotel I needed exactly the nights and exactly in the place that I was staying, but also knock out the requirement and get 50,000 more bonus points. And this also um, coincided with another promotion that I was lucky enough to register for where you stay two paid nights and get a free night award out of it. And so from this stay, not only did I save a bunch of money um, from, you know, generally what I would pay cash for a hotel and save my points, but I got a bunch of tens of thousands of bonus points and another free night award out of it. And I got to stay at a great hotel, a very modern, very comfortable, great hotel in a good location in Kuala Lumpur. So overall, it was kind of a huge win for me and just a good example of, um, you know, when the stars align, first of all, but also uh, just like good deals and paying cash for rooms versus using points. I think this was a good example of when it really did matter to sort of crunch the numbers. A lot of the time I'd say, you know, if it feels good, like using the points, use the points, don't spend too much time crunching the numbers, uh, debating whether you should pay cash or points. But this one was so overwhelmingly in the wrong direction for points that it just, I actually did think about it and say, you know what, I, I have plenty of points to use for this, but 
I can get XYZ benefits uh, from doing paid nights instead. So that's what I'm going to do. And Kuala Lumpur is a great city. If you haven't been, it was a great um, mid-trip stop for a week, just pretty laid back. Um, lots to do, very affordable, very safe, easy to get around, easy transport. Um, yeah, so it was a great place almost a month into my trip at this point to just sort of camp out and stay somewhere for a week before moving on to the slightly more stressful portion of the trip through Africa. And that's what I did next because from Kuala Lumpur, I flew to Madagascar with a quick stopover in Mauritius. And if you aren't aware of what Mauritius is, it's an island country off the coast of Madagascar. So sort of in the Indian Ocean. Um, and Air Mauritius is actually a really good airline. Um, they, they've been growing in recent years. They have some really nice long haul aircraft. They're replacing their planes with much newer ones recently. And I, they also partner with Aeroplan, Air Canada Aeroplan. So I was able to use Aeroplan miles to fly from Kuala Lumpur to Mauritius, spend a night in Mauritius, and then the next day fly to Madagascar, the capital of Antananarivo. And the whole thing only cost me 40,000 Aeroplan points. And that's not like a particularly great deal, not a particularly bad deal. It's just fine. <laughs> and I had the option of flying business class on that same route for only 20,000 points more, which so 60,000 points total. But I, when I was looking up the flights, I saw that the planes they were using, so Air Mauritius only has one really old plane in their fleet. It's an A330-300. And this is just something that I've uh, gotten good at, I guess, over the years, just from sort of being really into planes. I'm just like kind of a plane nerd. And so I knew from looking at the itinerary that they were going to be flying their only old long haul aircraft and that the seats, the business class seats and economy seats are just not great at all. Um, and so instead of shelling out the extra 20,000 points, I just decided to fly economy and save those points for a time that I can, I can use them for an entire other flight somewhere or use them towards a business class flight on something that'll be more enjoyable and I think more worth the extra points. And so when you, I guess this is a good lesson uh, when you're looking up and considering business class flights specifically, or just any flight and you have multiple options for planes when you're searching for a flight, Google that plane and that airline and then like economy class or business class. So for example, with me, I could have just Googled um, Air Mauritius A330-300 business class, right? And then I would see exactly what people post pictures of this. There are reviews of it everywhere. You can go on YouTube and find reviews of it too. And so just from that, you can see, uh, okay, that doesn't look particularly nice or comfortable. The flight's only six hours long. I'm, I'm just going to save my points for something better. Whereas if it was the A350-900, for example, you would Google that and see that it's very nice. One of their newer planes with like pod-like seating, uh, sort of state-of-the-art business class. And that would have been certainly worth the extra points, in my opinion. So in Mauritius, I stayed at the Holiday Inn, which is uh, right near the airport, actually. I was able to just walk um, from the airport. They the, ho the hotel did have a shuttle, but I couldn't get in touch with them at all, unfortunately. So I decided to walk. Uh, wasn't that bad at all, though. And yeah, it was a great way to just stop there for the night because even though it's sort of an airport located hotel, Mauritius is just a beautiful, stunning 
just naturally amazing island. And um, so even when you're near the airport, you just get this amazing scenery, uh, beaches everywhere. The hotel has a shuttle that drives you to a really nice quiet beach, which I was able to do. And um, the food was okay. And it only cost about 17,500 IHG points for the night, which considering there were no other hotels near the airport, a lot of them were much further away, like on the other side of the island near the capital. Uh, I thought it was a great deal. Very convenient, well-priced. I still got to experience a little bit of Mauritius. Um, And because I was flying from Kuala Lumpur to Madagascar, it's pretty much the best possible way I could have gotten there because obviously there are no direct flights from (laughs) Madagascar to really anywhere except a a couple of countries. And so it was just overall extremely convenient. Good deal on the flights, good deal on the hotel, got to see a new country, got to go to the beach for a bit. So I I enjoyed that for sure. And then the, the real adventure kicked off. And from Mauritius, I flew to Madagascar and Tananarivo. And Madagascar is definitely one of the more impoverished countries in Africa one of the least visited countries in the entire world. And a lot of people know Madagascar. Maybe you've seen the animated movie Madagascar. Maybe you've just heard of it because um, it's just known for uh, being a haven for a lot of different animal species, like endangered species that only exist on Madagascar. I mean, tons, more than you can imagine. Uh, There are tons of animals and Madagascar is the only place in the world that you can find those animals. Despite that, unfortunately, the country just really has struggled over the years, partially because of the the leadership. Um, and so there's not a lot of tourism. There's not a lot of money. The economy is not great. Um, and as a result, it's kind of a hard place to travel. So not a lot of hotels, not a lot of flights going in and out. And unless you're doing the, the eco-tourism, which is, you know, there are definitely some companies that can take you on great tours out in the countryside and, and go see some amazing wildlife and all of that. Um, there's not a whole ton to do. And Anton and Arivo, the capital is definitely not a place that people go to like hang out, but I still enjoyed my time there. I met some, some cool people, enjoyed walking around the city. It's a very hilly city. So there are some cool viewpoints. Um, just interesting to, to see life pass by, to go to the markets. I had some good food, went to a couple museums and, uh, yeah, found uh, some places where uh, some expats hang out in the city uh, close to my hotel. And so I got to meet some some expats, people from abroad who have uh, moved to Madagascar. Very interesting, just a, an interesting off the beaten path place. And there are not a lot of hotel options, like I said, in Antananarivo, the capital, but the the hotel program that weirdly sort of has things locked down there is actually Radisson. And Radisson has two hotels in the city. One is a Radisson Blue, which is the most luxurious hotel in the city. It's like a five-star hotel, the only five-star hotel in, in the capital of Madagascar. Very expensive, like 300 bucks a night. Um, I didn't stay there, but where I did stay was the Radisson Service Departments. And this is like, basically, they're like just little apartment units. Uh, every It's like every room is a suite, essentially, with a little kitchenette. Um, bedroom, bathroom, entryway, and it's pretty much just a hotel, but they call it the service departments. And this cost me, 
I think like 70 bucks a night. I didn't have any Radisson points to throw around, um, but I thought it was a good deal. And it was in a really solid location in the city, easy to walk around and stuff like that. And I really enjoyed it. There was a nice rooftop restaurant. The staff was really nice and accommodating. The gym was was um, comprehensive, especially for like a, an African hotel. And so, yeah, I enjoyed it. I thought it was great. And I, I guess I'm kind of surprised that there aren't uh, many hotel options and the one company that sort of has clearly built up a presence there is Radisson of all companies. So yeah, Radisson is the way to go if you go to Madagascar. So from Madagascar, now moving on to mainland Africa, I flew to Kenya. Uh, one of the only places you can fly nonstop from Antananarivo is Nairobi. And so I flew Kenya Airways. Again, I used KLM and Air France Flying Blue Miles, kind of the theme of this trip, I guess. Just all the obscure places I went, Flying Blue just was always the best option. It's great. And Kenya Airways is part of Sky Team. So you can book it with, uh, you can book Kenya Airways with Delta Miles, with Flying Blue Miles, and with other Sky Team partners. And yeah, that was very straightforward. It was an obnoxious flight, like two in the morning or something, landed in Nairobi at like six. And um, I had another flight booked from Nairobi the same day to Kilimanjaro in Tanzania, which was my final destination. But the layover was like 10 hours. And so I ended up just hiring a a guy who <laughs> I thought he was going to drive me there, but he ended up just putting me on a Dala Dala, which is kind of like a a mini bus that they just like pack with people. Um, I've taken many a dollar dollar in my life in East Africa. And so I, I didn't have a problem with this, but uh, yeah. So I got to Arusha, Tanzania in about five hours, which was and for me much better than like waiting around killing time in Nairobi for 10 hours and then flying to Arusha and then going an hour from the airport into the city. I was happy to just take the five hour dollar dollar. And uh, yeah, then I was in Tanzania which is one of my favorite places in the world. This was my fourth time in Tanzania. I, I've spent total uh, probably a couple months in the country, speak a little bit of Kiswahili. Um, my best friend uh, that I've known since kindergarten lives in Tanzania. He's lived there for years. He was in the Peace Corps. His He just got engaged um, to a Tanzanian woman that he um, met in the Peace Corps. And so uh, it was really nice to see him. Just a place that I have kind of a personal connection and place I always love going back to, feel very comfortable in. And yeah, it was a pretty laid back few days there. I stayed in the Four Points by Sheraton in Arusha, Tanzania, which was pretty cool. Cost about 13,000 Marriott points a night, which was a great deal considering the cash price was pushing like 300 bucks a night. Not the nicest hotel in the world, but in Arusha, it really does not get better for that price and also for the location. So, um, yeah, that was pretty laid back. Did some hiking in Arusha, hung out with my friend, got some great food, practiced my Kiswahili a little bit. Uh, great time. And from Tanzania, I flew to Uganda, uh, the capital of Kampala. Well, actually, the airport is in Entebbe, which is about an hour south of Kampala. And um, that was just on Air Tanzania, great airline, one of my favorite airlines in Africa. They are um, not the biggest airline, not the most successful, but they're growing slowly. They got some new planes, they're expanding their route network, they are 
potentially going to be operating flights to Europe. They operate a flight to China. They operate all around East Africa. And I've always had a good time flying them. So I'm never bummed about having to fly them. Uh, but it was just a very quick flight. It cost about $100 flying from Arusha to Entebbe or to, uh, yeah, Entebbe. And that was easy. And I stayed in Kampala for just a few days um, and stayed at the Four Points by Sheraton, another Marriott hotel. This one was so surprising, though. I was blown away by this hotel because it cost, first of all, Four Points by Sheraton is kind of a budget brand. Um, and if you stayed at one in like North America, you probably have an idea in your head of what Four Points by Sheraton is. This is not it at all. This was a luxurious, modern hotel that had been open for about two weeks uh, by the time I got there. And it's the nicest hotel I've stayed at in Africa, period. Uh, it was so nice. Like, <laughs> one of the more comfortable hotels I've ever stayed at. So I was kind of blown away. And it only cost 10,000 Marriott points a night, which also blew me away because they could be charging four times that for, for this level of hotel. They would never sell those rooms because there just aren't people traveling through Uganda using points. So, um, yeah, it was great. Great location in Kampala. Got to explore the city a little bit. I hung out with a Daily Drop fan uh, who is from Uganda. His name was Wilson, and he reached out to me when he saw that I was coming to Uganda. And we hung out uh, every day that I was there, and he taught me a lot about Kampala, took me to some cool places, taught me about uh, Uganda in general. So I, I feel like I learned a lot, made a new friend, got to see some stuff from the perspective of a local, which is always, I think, the best way to do things. So yeah, Uganda was fascinating. Definitely a place I want to go back to, which I know I, I keep saying about everywhere, but um, it's true. I, I just can't help but want to uh, go back and explore these places after I only spend maybe a few days in a city somewhere. It's it's hard to not want to go back and just dive a little deeper into a lot of these places. So next up from Uganda, I flew to Cape Town, South Africa. So this was, I discovered something pretty cool on this flight. So I flew on Ethiopian Airlines, uh, which I booked using Aeroplan points. Ethiopian is a great airline, one of the bigger Star Alliance partners in the world. And uh, so I flew from Kampala to Addis Ababa, the capital of Ethiopia, and then from there to Cape Town, South Africa. But I had a 12-hour overnight layover in Addis Ababa. And what I learned on this trip was that Ethiopian, even if you're flying economy, and even if you're booking with points, gives you a free hotel night when you have an overnight layover in Addis Ababa. And so even though I didn't book through them, and even though on this leg I was flying economy, they gave me a voucher for a hotel um, in the city of Addis Ababa. And you don't need a visa or anything to. Normally, Americans need a visa to exit the airport, and you have to apply for it ahead of time. But when you're using this uh, layover program, the free hotel, when you have an overnight layover, they take you out of the airport like in a bus. You stay in a hotel. You're not allowed to leave the hotel. And then they take you back to the airport in the morning before your flight. So very cool. I mean, that's a lot of extra value and makes an overnight layover so much less painful. So I was really pleasantly surprised by that. Had a, a nice easy night in Addis Ababa, a nice leisurely flight. It was like seven hours from Addis Ababa to Cape Town. So 
one of the longer flights on the African continent that you can do. But I stayed in Cape Town for a full week. Um, and Cape Town was maybe my favorite part of this whole trip. Uh, it was really, really beautiful. The weather was so nice because, you know, up until this point of the trip, it had just been hot, like really hot everywhere, especially in Asia. Um, but then also in, in sub-Saharan Africa, like Tanzania, Kenya, Uganda, it was also pretty hot. And so getting down to the very south of the the continent, it felt like a North American fall. Like it felt like a, a nice fall weather. Um, and Cape Town is just surrounded by stunning scenery mountains. There's a lot of hiking you can do, a lot of stuff you can just do outdoors in general. Um, very accessible, just really nice modern city with a lot to do, a lot of great infrastructure. The waterfront is beautiful. It reminded me of like New England. I grew up in New Hampshire, so um, kind of weirdly, strangely reminded me of home a little bit which might sound weird, uh, South Africa being like New Hampshire, but just trust me on that. So yeah, I enjoyed South Africa. I stayed at the Hyatt Regency in Cape Town, um, which costs, it's a category two Hyatt hotel. And so it cost 8,000 points a night while I was there. Unfortunately, <laughs> I had a pretty terrible experience at this hotel. They, uh, my room like flooded one night I had housekeeping enter my room without my consent a couple of times, even I, though I had the do not disturb sign on the door. So like I was getting out of the shower one day and housekeeping just barged in, even though I had the do not disturb sign on, which was really just unacceptable. The flooding of my room was unacceptable and the hotel didn't do anything. They didn't care at all. It was some of the worst service I've ever experienced at a hotel. And I, I left them feedback. They, of course, never got back to me. Um, but extremely disappointing. Even though I loved Cape Town, I would not stay at that hotel again. And I wouldn't recommend you stay there. There are tons of hotel options in Cape Town from all of the major programs. I had been eyeing a, a Marriott hotel. Um, there are some Protea hotels. There's an AC hotel at the waterfront. IHG has a, a Holiday Inn that only costs, it was like, less than 10,000 points a night, I think, for when I was there. There are lots of great and affordable options in Cape Town. Uh, I would not recommend the, the higher Regency, unfortunately. So, yeah. But like I said, I otherwise really, really enjoyed Cape Town. And then um, getting towards the end of the trip, my next stop was Victoria Falls, which is between Zambia and Zimbabwe. It's like right on the border. Um, there's a town in Zimbabwe called Victoria Falls. And on the other side in Zambia, there's a city called Livingstone. But most people fly into the Zimbabwean side. The airport there is is bigger, um, as in it serves more flights generally. So I was able to fly nonstop from Cape Town to uh, Victoria Falls, Zimbabwe, uh, on an airline called Airlink, uh, which is a South African airline. It's actually the biggest airline in South Africa. It's bigger than South African Airways. And I think I'm pretty sure it, it might be the second largest airline in Africa after Ethiopian. Um, I've heard mixed things about Airlink. They're not a, a premium airline by any means. And I've ha I've heard some horror stories just about the quality of the planes, the service, um, the airport experience with them. But for me, everything went totally fine. I actually really enjoyed the flight. Uh, I flew on an Embraer plane, so every, there's no middle seat on the plane at all. And I had the seat next to me empty. 
and the scenery outside was beautiful. It was like a morning flight and the flight left on time. I thought the crew was great and would definitely fly Airlink again. So yeah, I, I really enjoyed it. Then things got kind of a little bit crazy in Zimbabwe. So I was planning on staying in Zimbabwe. Um, I had a hotel booked on the Zimbabwean side. And the the complication here is just a little um, preamble here. The So to enter Zimbabwe, you need a visa. And you can either get a single entry visa or a double entry visa. But they cost different things. Um, and Zambia, you don't need a visa. This is as an American, by the way, although this applies to a lot of other passports as well, these rules. And so you can freely cross over the border between Zambia and Zimbabwe as much as you want, but you have a limited number of entries to Zimbabwe. So hold that in your mind for a sec. So I was in Zimbabwe, had a hotel booked on the Zimbabwean side and, um, had a double entry visa from when I landed at the airport. So from the airport entering the country, that's one of those entries. So I had another entry, meaning I could go to Zambia once if I wanted to and still be able to come back to Zimbabwe to catch my flight, which was also leaving from Zimbabwe. Now, unfortunately, there is no connectivity in Zimbabwe at all. It's an incredibly impoverished country, no infrastructure, no cell phone service, no cell phones, no internet, no nothing, um, which I was expecting to a degree from Zimbabwe. But I didn't realize how impossible it was going to be to stay connected. I had meetings. I had to write daily drop the newsletter and was really struggling. So on a whim, I was at a cafe trying to attend a meeting with uh, with the internet at this cafe, and it just wasn't working. So I decided in the moment to just up and walk across the border to Zambia, um, which I heard had better Wi-Fi and just better infrastructure in general. I had all my stuff with me. I just travel with one tiny little backpack. So, um, <laughs> so I just kind of up and left. I didn't realize at the time that it was actually quite an endeavor to get across the border. Um, there's a huge chunk of land between the two countries called no man's land where you exit Zimbabwe, uh, but you're not in Zambia yet. There's a whole middle ground, like kilometers of road and a huge sketchy bridge that crosses the Victoria Falls Gorge. Um, like the bridge is like 130 years old or something quite sketchy feeling only one car on it at a time, but it's like hundreds of feet above the ground and you're technically like not in any country and there are baboons everywhere, just like chilling in no man's land and sketchy people that were like trying to sell me stuff. And it was, it was a whole thing. So I was basically like running across this baboon laden bridge across a gorge, not in a country, trying to get to another country so that I could attend a meeting with Wi-Fi. <coughs> And uh, eventually I got into Zambia and realized sort of after that, that, oh shoot, my hotel's in Zimbabwe, but I can only enter Zimbabwe once. So if I want to see Zambia at all, I have to stay here now. <laughs> so thankfully, pretty much right across the border, there was a Marriott hotel, um, which there are no chain hotels in Zimbabwe, uh, not just Victoria Falls, but the entire country. So I had booked like a cheap, really cheap bed and breakfast place that was like really run down in Zimbabwe. But on the Zambian side, there was a Protea by Marriott, which only cost, uh, I think, like seven or eight thousand points a night. So I just um, like immediately after crossing the border and realizing what I had done, booked a couple nights there, got in a taxi, 
um, drove to the hotel, finished up attending my meeting, and then just crashed. Um, it was definitely not the best travel day. Just a lot of really hectic running around, changing plans, crossing borders unexpectedly. Uh, very hot too. I was like outside running around in the 100 degree heat. So not fun, but also a good example of <clears throat> how travel hacking can really come in handy when you need it. Uh, thankfully, there was a hotel there, but also thankfully I had a bunch of Marriott points. So I was just uh, this Protea hotel on my phone in two seconds and have a place to stay in Zambia. It actually ended up working out because Zambia was great. Um, everything was way cheaper over there, much more infrastructure. It was easy to work. I got to see the Victoria Falls, got to go to some museums. I met some cool people, saw a lot of animals. And uh, yeah, I'm actually glad that I ended up spending more time in Zambia, even though that's not what I had initially intended to do. So yeah, I got lucky with that. And then on the day of my flight, was able to just cross the border back into Zimbabwe, um, go through the whole no man's land situation again, and make my way to the airport where I flew down to Botswana. And Botswana was, well, yeah, let me talk about Botswana first. But technically, my journey home to Toronto, like the ticket I bought, started in Zimbabwe, Victoria Falls. But I spent a couple days in Botswana on the way. More about that in a sec. I stayed at another Protea hotel in Botswana, in the capital of Habaron. Um, Botswana is not really a place where there's a lot to do. I think most people who go there are going on safari in the countryside. But Botswana is a really fascinating country. Um, it's kind of the biggest success story in sub-Saharan Africa. It's got the, it's like the least corrupt country. It's got the best economy of any country. It's a legitimate middle income country. So even people, um, like the economy is better and people make more money in Botswana than a lot of European countries. And that's because of a lot of things, some natural resources, some amount of tourism, but also the government is just very on point. It's got a solid, strong democracy with good leadership and and very, very little corruption. And yeah, so it's a very peaceful, one of the most peaceful countries in the world. It's one of the only countries in all of Africa that the US doesn't have any travel advisories for. So it's, it's more safe than 99% of countries you could go to in the world. You could leave your wallet on the middle of the sidewalk, come back three days later, and it'll still be sitting there. It's one of those like just over-the-top, safe, peaceful countries. And you can definitely feel that when you're in Botswana. It's just a very laid-back vibe everywhere. Um, there are some cool things to do in Botswana. I There's some like hiking on some of the hills you can do, some good restaurants, like some cool markets and things like that. So I enjoyed my my short time there. But then I continued on my journey all the way back to Toronto. So let me break down how I booked this. Basically, I used Aeroplan points to book a ticket from Victoria Falls to Toronto with a stopover, not a layover, but a stopover in Botswana, Habaron. And so normally, so the flight I ended up taking, the entire itinerary was Victoria Falls to Habaron, then from Habaron to Addis Ababa, Ethiopia, then from Ethiopia to Togo, which is a country in West Africa, Togo to New York City, and then New York City to Toronto. Now, if you were booking that distance just based on the aeroplane award chart uh, with the stopover in Habaron, 
it would cost 115,000 points in business class, which is what I ended up flying, business class. Um, but because that very last leg from New York City to Toronto, which is like an hour-long flight, because that was operated by Air Canada, dynamic pricing actually kicked in in my favor this time. And so I was able to book that entire itinerary in business class, more than 30 hours of flying time in business class for only 80,000 aeroplane points instead of 115,000. So it was a huge steal. Um, and for that amount of time flying, just like 30 hours, uh, it was so worth it. And again, because I had an overnight layover in Addis Ababa on that trip, I got a free hotel night, just like my previous layover in Addis Ababa. And so I got 30 hours of flying time in business class, in a bed with Wi-Fi and tons of food, a free hotel night in Addis Ababa, very comfortable trip home for such a long itinerary for only 80,000 points. One of the better deals that I've gotten in my life with points and just a good example of um, kind of a lucky deal, I guess, because dynamic pricing kicked in because of that last leg, but also it was a slightly longer itinerary than I could have taken. For example, I could have flown nonstop from Addis Ababa to Toronto, um, but it would have cost so many more points because none of the legs would have involved that Air Canada flight. So I would have been relying on the award chart only. So I was happy to spend an extra few hours flying in business class, by the way, to save more than 30,000 points on the whole itinerary. So I thought that was just a good trade-off and maybe a good example of when you have options like that, sometimes the longer option can be better if you're saving a ton of points, one, or if you're flying in a better cabin, or in my case, both of those things. So yeah, it was a long journey home. After 49 days on the road, all around the world, Toronto to Toronto, and um, I don't have the exact number of how many points I used. It's hard to sort of calculate all of that or what the value per point was, but I can definitely say that miles and points accounted for probably 80% of all of the travel on this trip and that this would have cost tens of thousands of dollars overall if I were paying cash. So I'm very happy with how it turned out, although definitely exhausted and uh, home in Toronto for a few weeks for sure to take a little break. But hopefully from uh, some of these examples that I gave you, you got some inspiration for how you might also use miles and points. I think that a lot of places I traveled to are great places to get value out of your miles and points. So Southeast Asia, uh, Africa, these are places that maybe are a little more off the beaten path for people, but your miles and points will go so much further in these places than they will in North America, where you're looking at paying like 50,000 points a night for a, a pretty crappy hotel. In some cases, you can get a, you know, a nice five-star luxurious hotel in Africa for 10,000 points a night, or you can book like a really nice Hyatt hotel in Kyoto, Japan for, for 80 bucks a night, or Kuala Lumpur, stay at a Marriott hotel and really nice high rise in a modern five-star hotel for 65 bucks a night. Um, that, so whether you, you're using cash or points, I just recommend maybe looking outside, looking off the beaten path a little bit where you'll just get more bang for your buck, both with points and cash. So yeah, I hope you enjoyed this trip report. The next one will not be nearly as long. Uh, so thank you for sticking around. And as always, if you have any questions, comments, feedback, or more, send us an email at podcast at dailydrop.com, or you can go on uh, wherever you get your podcast, leave us a review. And in that review, feel free to leave any uh, questions or comments and we can always address them 
in a future episode. And of course, if you want more Daily Drop content, please, please subscribe wherever you get your podcasts and go find us at dailydrop.com if you want to sign up for the newsletter or uh, join us over in the Facebook community. So thanks for sticking around and we'll see you next time. 